Well, we've been on a, a, a little mini-series, if you will, and jumped around a little bit on the subject of spiritual warfare. We've just chose that subject, but not necessarily um, everything you would hear normally in a whole series on spiritual warfare. Uh, we've even looked at um, some of the things we may say with our mouth that becomes spiritual warfare because we can tear uh, our family members or people down uh, with our words and literally uh, suck the life right out of them that God is trying to uh, put into them. Uh, <clears throat> So we, we also talked about demons recently in the spiritual warfare, that we are against a, a real enemy, a real army of evil. But I want to today uh, focus a little bit on the subject of hell. And, and the reason for that is because if you take the premise of hell, if you take the reality of hell out of the gospel, then most of this world will have no need for the gospel. All of this world will have no need for the gospel. It, it's really, uh, the, the whole idea is that the reason that, that there is a fear of losing people is because they would be eternally separated from God in hell. And that is, that is the very basis for why there is a yearning in my spirit, a burning in my spirit to, to reach the lost. Because we don't know when that time comes, when there is no more time to make decisions. I don't know if you've heard this story about a message on a man left on his tombstone. It's, it's uh, been passed around a lot, but... The message on his tombstone said, Consider, young man, as you walk by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be. So prepare, young man, to follow me. And that sounds pretty profound, but someone took a knife and scratched a response on the tombstone that read, To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. And isn't that the truth? There's a lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of philosophies, a lot of things to follow. But where is that going to lead you? Where is that going to lead you? The Bible teaches us that this life is not all that there is. That after death there exists two eternal realities. There, all of us shall, shall spend eternity in two places. One of two places where everyone shall go. And so uh, this is, um, this is a, an intense subject uh, for believers because we already have settled in our heart that god is real which then we have to because the god of the bible that satan is real and that there's an eternal place called hell so we are all thankful and grateful for the grace of god i don't spend every day worrying about burning hell now i did as a young person always worry about it. i was so scared i was just going to lose my salvation like a lost change you know and that i'd end up in hell and as i've grown and become uh, a more mature christian i realize God's grace is sufficient to carry me when, I, when I'm not intentionally trying to walk away from him. But I, but I have that sinful nature and, and it rears up and I fail. I can go back to him and that relationship uh, can be renewed and renewed. And it's not that I've lost my salvation. But at the same time, I do have the free will still to walk away and to push, push away. I'm not going to say much about this, but just on that subject, we'll talk a little bit more about free will. But uh, I, I'll give you again, those of you who have not heard it, my analogy that I think works best for whether there's eternal security or eternal insecurity, um, that, that the Bible says that no one shall pluck you from his hand, and that is a foundational scripture used by eternal security believers to say that you cannot lose your salvation. If you're really saved, then then doesn't matter. You're, you're never going to lose it. And if they say, well, what if somebody murders somebody after they're saved? Well, then they'll, they'll just say, well, they're never really saved, obviously. And so it, it almost pushes you to the point of saying, but, but I'm going to sin because I have a sinful nature. I'm going to try not to, and I hope not to, but I'm going to sin. So that means every time I just have to question whether I really ever was saved. 
Well, the analogy I like to use is when that scripture talks about no one can pluck you from his hand, I think about a little bird. If, if you're holding a bird in your hands and that bird likes the comfort, the warmth in your hands, then a, a dog or an animal trying to get that bird, you, you as a larger, uh, a larger being, you could, you could protect that bird. But if that bird doesn't like that protection and wants to keep pecking at your hand, saying, let me go, you know, it, true love says, let it go, right? Well, if you don't want to be here, I'm going to let you go. And that's how we look at free will with God from a biblical standpoint is that God is protecting us and he will hold us. And that salvation is there as a free gift and it is rock solid. And no one, the devil or anyone, can't just pluck you from God's hand. But we do have the choice that we can walk away. And so because of that, not just unbelievers, but believers have to realize that hell is a real um, place and it is a place that you end up if you decide to turn away from God. Luke 16, the 16th chapter of Luke, verses 19 through 31. This is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You may be familiar with this, but Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen. So during this time, that would have been the, the Armani suit, if you will, of the time. And who lived each day in luxury, Verse 20, at his gate, this is Luke 16, verse 20, at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Verse 22, finally the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried and his soul went to the place of the dead. There, there in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. I got to be honest with you, this always messed with me a little bit. I was like, wow, this guy's obviously in hell. Or he's in the place of the, the, the dead, which uh, the, the reference there is that he's gone on to eternal torment, hell. Yet he can see Abraham. He's able to call out to him. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip, uh, to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. Verse 25, but Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he was here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm between us. No one can cross over to you from here. And no one can cross over from us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so that they won't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if, I, if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and return to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen, even if someone rises from the dead. And I would say that's very true. One thing as a pastor in the short time, I've learned that, you know, if someone uh, very loved who is a believer in the family passes away, especially uh, a patriarch, a matriarch, a grandmother, a father, a mother, a grandmother, whoever it is, that, that many times the unbelieving family members will find themselves coming to church for a while, trying to connect and make uh, and, and kindle a relationship with God, or at least ease their, their, their worries because that person's testimony was a conviction in their heart. But until, until that person was gone and realized they had received their eternal reward, 
the fear of being separated from them never gripped them hard enough. And so now in their death, they realize if I want to see grandma or grandpa, if I want to see them again, now I believe, now I believe, now I'll come. But you know what I find? Is their seats become empty after a short time because there is nothing that someone else can do to convince you to follow God if your heart is set on yourself. If your heart is set on selfish ways and not serving God, then it, it will only be a matter of time till that won't matter any longer either. The Bible tells us that everything we see around us is temporary. It, it's what we don't see that is ultimately going to last. And all of us were made to last forever. I, I don't know, as you get older, you start to have, I guess you call it same, as others might say morbid thoughts, but you start to have eternal thoughts. I was sitting in my home yesterday. Uh, I took a, a somewhat of a day of rest, helped the boys build a tree house. They've been, they were starting to build it without me because I wasn't there. And I looked at what they were building. And I thought, oh, Lord, I'm going to be minus two boys if I don't jump in and help. <laughs> so um, we had a little schooling on building safe tree houses and, and got started. But I uh, just get, got inside, and I'm sitting there looking. And one of the things I love a uh, house is I, when I um, laid the rock on our fireplace, you know, I placed those stones where I liked them. And, and so... Sometimes I just look at that and think, wow, that was worth that hard work. And then I had this thought. I said, you know, if the Lord tarries, though, one day somebody else is going to be enjoying this fireplace. This won't be our house anymore. Even if, even if we live there till the day we die, someone else will be enjoying that work, that handiwork. And, and it made me think a little bit about how we look, we take for granted the trees and the birds and this earth and all this thing and think for, for thousands, uh, you know, thousands of years, men have enjoyed this earth, but they've all passed on. Other than the ones alive now, everybody has had to hand off. And so, so the thought that there's something beyond what we see is not enough. It's just a thought. It's not enough to drive us to change our behavior sometimes or to make a decision for all Christ. And there's many people who are on a pathway to hell because they take for granted that this is not anything they create. This earth and the things they see around is not theirs to keep but yet they have to make a decision about where they will rest for eternity. The first thing we need to understand is that hell is real. When we looked at verse 22 and 23, finally the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man was also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. And there in torment he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. C.S. Lewis told uh, about a gravestone inscription that read, Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and nowhere to go. Makes me wonder if that's true. Who did that to him? But Lewis quietly replied, I bet he wishes that were not so. In a national poll conducted, I talked a little bit about polls, about people believing in demons and believing in the devil, but 67% of American adults said they believe in hell. Less than 25% believed that they would go there. Isn't that amazing? Less than 25%. And 25% believed their friends will be there. Their friends. They didn't say enemies. I guess frenemies might be the right term there. Many Christians reject the idea of hell. They don't understand why a loving God would send people to such a horrible place. And I'm not sure what's happened in our culture and in, in um, people's belief systems that more so than ever, I'm hearing of this. Whole, whole church organizations going away from the teaching of hell. Starting to rethink that thing. Maybe we had it wrong. 
and starting to see things the, the way they want to see them, that, that surely a loving God. And, and I believe the hypergrace movement maybe assisted in that a little bit. And what I mean by hypergrace movement is that, 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 that belief that God's grace is so sufficient that even when I'm knowingly, willingly, and committed to sin, God's love is just covering that. But yet we see in the scriptures where God says that he cannot abide in those who have chosen to have an evil heart and who have not accepted, his free, uh, not accepted uh, Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It, it's a teaching of universalism. Universalism is a teaching that everybody goes to heaven. That no matter what, everybody goes. In the book Love Wins, heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived goes to heaven. Or maybe you've seen uh, the movie Hereafter where the afterlife is portrayed as, as being a wonderful place where everyone goes after death to be surrounded by friends and family. But the truth is, even in that, we, we romanticize, especially at funerals, about so-and-so in our family that we know that they weren't following the Lord. But yeah, everybody's like, they're in the better place. And as a minister, that's really hard because you're thinking, I hope you're certain and not lying to yourself. Because all you do in that is you encourage those around you, the young ones coming up in the family, the generation behind you, to not have a healthy fear that there is a choice you can make where it is eternal torment. Where Uncle Billy may not be in a better place. Uncle Billy may be in eternal torment. And you don't want to follow the path of Uncle Billy. And that tells me that there are people who literally say they believe in hell, but they don't really. Because if they did, they would, they would proclaim, do not do what Uncle Billy did because he never made that choice before he passed. And now I fear that he is burning in hell. It's not our job to know who is in hell and who's not. That's God's job. But we need to point the younger generations to make the choice to spend eternity with God. There's a story that's told of an army chaplain who reported to a new duty station. And upon arrival, some of the men came to see him and asked him this question. Do you believe in a literal hell? They just point blank asked their chaplain, do you believe in a literal hell? And he said, no, I don't. And the men asked him to resign, and he asked them why. And this was the, the response they gave him. If there's no hell, then we don't need you. And if there is a hell, we don't want you here to lead us astray. You see, when you put it in that perspective, isn't that true? If we don't preach on the literal hell that the Bible tells us is there, then what's the need of even coming together because we have no threat of anything? We're all going to heaven anyway. Why do we even have to try? And if somebody's teaching that, then, then I think of the scripture that if you lead one of these little ones astray, you might as well strap a millstone around your neck and throw yourself in the sea because the, the torment and the punishment that you'll get from what you're doing. And basically that scripture is saying you better stop it now. You better take drastic measures. If it's killing yourself, you might as well do it because you're already a dead man or woman if you're leading the young ones astray. This next passage, Jesus gives us a clear picture of what comes after this natural life that's a very real and actual place. That heaven and hell are very real. John 14, 2. John, the 14th chapter, uh, verse 2 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. That means that, that God's desire is that if you choose to follow Jesus, if you choose to have a relationship with God, that, that he is preparing now a place for you. 
It's amazing to think. It boggles my mind because that's just almost little memory verses we learned, right? But Ken, I mean, right now that God is preparing a place for you in heaven. That, that I don't understand a God that can just snap his fingers and there be light. Can you, that, that he's preparing. I'm preparing a place for you now. That he is using his creative abilities, his creative um, uh, super abilities to say, I'm creating a place for you. Not I'm just creating a big meeting hall for everyone, but for you, Belinda, and Beth, and Johnny, I'm creating a place for you. Sandy, he's creating it specifically for you. And so that, that gives you a different picture when people think, why would a loving God send uh, people who seem to be loving people to hell? He didn't send them to hell. They're choosing between two destinations. Because God says, when you believe, I'm preparing for you. But if you don't want that gift, if you don't want it, then there is a place that's already been prepared for you. Since creation, God has been preparing heaven for us because it's not your permanent resting spot. It, it, this is not your permanent abode. Uh, I'm grateful that we don't live forever on this planet because nothing on this planet works. No relationship is perfect. No job is perfect. Nobody works perfectly. Everything's broken on this planet because of sin. So I'm thankful that this is temporary. I, I don't, I've, I've grown more and more ready for Jesus to come back. I mean, even more so in the last four or five years since I've been pastoring, I just truly have got to the point. I'm like, Lord, Jesus, if it wasn't for all those that still haven't decided to follow you, I'm ready for you to come back. And if they're not going to make that decision, then come, please, quickly. But God's prepared a better place for us, a perfect place. But both heaven and hell are prepared places. Matthew 25, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. This is about the final judgment. In Matthew 25, 31 through 46, it says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, when he will sit upon his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered in, this, in his presence, and he will separate the people as shepherds separate sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of this world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did I ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king shall say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Notice it doesn't say it was ever meant for man. It was prepared for the devil and his demons. But people can make a choice to go where they are never meant to go. For I was hungry and you, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison. You didn't visit me. Verse 44, then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry, thirsty, or a stranger, naked, or sick, or in prison, 
I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're refusing to help me. <coughs> and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. You know, maybe a silly analogy, but I've mentioned this when Jen and I were dating and then got married. Her dad used to, and it's strange because he doesn't play the lottery, but for some reason he thought it was a deal. He'd have lottery tickets for everybody when we'd show up. And then we'd joke, say, okay, well, we win, then we split it. And I was always thinking after becoming pastor, it's like, I wish you'd quit getting those because if I win, how am I going to explain that to the church? No, I didn't play the lottery. My father-in-law bought it. But, but I remember one time that... Um, I can't remember when it was, but I remember the numbers being very close. Or I had a little bit of a false excitement that it was close. And I think about those folks that are maybe one number off, right? And they realize how close they were to this, uh, uh, what seemed to be eternal bliss, right? I think about um, several, a decade or so back, I remember a young couple in Missouri. He was a mechanic and she's a school teacher. His business was failing and they won. Uh, they were the only ones to win like a $300 million jackpot. And just literally change their lives. Of course, if you watch the shows about what happens to those people after, there's very rarely anybody ends up okay after that. Usually we end up worse. The money's gone and they're worse. But I, I, I think about that. Can you imagine if, if that's the effect of just some money, some monetary gain has, and you, and you messed it up, and you had this chance at a whole different life to be the wealthy, to have, be on top of the, everything, and you had that and you lost it all. Can you imagine the magnitude of feeling standing before the Almighty God and realizing there is a heaven, there is a hell. I was wrong. I didn't take this seriously. And you're standing there as he's dividing and says, now go on to your reward. And realizing that for all of eternity, never again do you have that chance again. That is what we have to let the, un, the unbelieving, dying world out there know. That's the people just down the street that may not be following Christ. I know a couple personally that I know that they're not following Christ. I know one gentleman down the street, I've been working on him for four years, five years, maybe longer. It was clear back when I was prospecting for the Bonds Legs Motorcycle Club, I used to go down and catch him at the place where they were drinking, and I would talk to him after Wednesday night church and trying to get him. I'd invite him to church. And this is where I'm going to give you a lesson why I tell you that I'm not as big about you inviting people to churches into their, into their lives. is because I would ask him, are you going to go to church? Are you going to serve beer? No. Then I'm probably not going to be at church. And the same response over and over for years. You like to come to this church function? Hey, we're doing a biker focus. You going to have beer? Nope. That probably won't be there. But over time, we've, we've had more interaction with the family. And now we see them out and it's, it's more like they're coming to it and they're welcoming. And I believe God has it on a path that one day they've had a few tragedies and we've had a chance to speak into their life and maybe one day they'll make that decision. And so it, it doesn't matter in such right now if they're not going to make the decision to follow Christ that they step in this building and come to a service. But it does matter that we continue to sow the seeds and to invite them into our lives. Because it's Christ living in us that needs to be shared, not just a building. And, and the worst experience is, is needed for Christian life, but until they make the decision, what's going to make them make the decision is seeing Christ in us. But it makes me fearful that they don't have the time that they think they have to make that decision. Recently, there was an, a near-fatal accident. And God spared them. But that choice could have been made for them right then. Like heaven 
Hell is a real place. Satan rebelled against God. Hell was prepared for the devil who, who chose to run from God. And, and that was the only place to go. That's the only place to go when you choose to separate yourself from God because God, the absence of God is pure evil. When God is removed completely from a place, all that is left is pure evil. So we have to realize that, that hell, can you imagine no restraint if God was to pull out of here right now and leave us all to just deal with the sin of this world, look how bad things are now. What do you think it would be without God here? The beheadings and those things we see in the East, we wouldn't just see them there. There, there would be um, complete evil all over the world. And many people today reject the idea of hell because they don't understand why a loving God would send people to such a terrible place. And they see hell as, as a place of punishment, but it's really not. It's a place of choice. God gave man a choice to be with him or apart from him. And since God created, uh, is, God is everywhere, he created one place in creation where he is not. There had to be a place for the pure evil to be contained and go. Hell exists because God, of God's love. And that may sound like a paradox, but it's the truth. I've been asked before by an unbeliever, someone who is sharp and knows God's word, and maybe who is a believer and then turned and said, well, if God's so wonderful and awesome, I get that. You choose to go one place or another. Why can't he just eliminate evil completely? Why can't he just squash the devil completely, him no longer exists, and, and take out evil? That would be love. So no. No, that'd be control. That'd be robotic control. That'd mean he'd take away your free will. You don't have a choice anymore. And you won't decide who and what you love because you will be forced to love. And that's not love at all. To be created in the image of God is to have the ability to choose who we love. And he chose to love us. Again, why is there so much suffering in the world? Um, why does God allow evil to flourish? Because of free will. The second thing, it's, this is, sounds a little bit ironic, but it's bad. Hell is bad. It says where he was in torment. It's talking about taking just a drop of water to just at least relieve the burning of his tongue. That though flames there were intense. So we, we need to help people understand what hell really is like. And to understand that, you have to understand what the word means. The word hell occurs 23 times in the New Testament, in the King James Version. There are basically two words or word pictures used. The first word is used 12 times in the Hebrew, the word Gehenna, which comes from the words Gehe, valley, or Hinnom, sorrow. And the valley of Hinnom was a garbage dump south of Jerusalem where the garbage and the dead animals were taken to be burned and the fires just kept going and going because there's so much garbage and the stench of dead flesh and animals being burnt was just more than anyone could about bear. But that was the place, that was the name used to describe hell, is this place of eternal flame where dead flesh was burning. The smell of burning decay and death must have been so terrible. No one wanted to be anywhere near it. It was the worst possible place a Jew could have imagined in their time. And that's why that word was used to describe hell. It was the worst place they could ever imagine. The second word, which is used ten times in the New Testament, is the Greek word Hades, from which um, the H-A is not, and the, the E-D-O in the original language 
is to see or perceive by any of the senses. And so you get this overall picture. I, I remember recently, to save money, our dumpster started getting filled up during the week, and I finally found out um, somebody in the community was doing that. And every time it would get over full, if the lid's up, they charge us $200 when our bill's like 85 months. They add $200 to it every time it's even open that much. So I was... If you ever pass by and you, you think I've lost it, you see me up there doing this in the dumpster, <laughs> using my truck bed to get up there and stomp, you know. Um, so I'd have to keep a watch on it because it'd come every other Thursday, and if it's over full, I knew that was a cost. Well, <clears throat> so I started, I got this idea. I found out that the cheapest dump in the area is Silent Springs, and they have this minimum of $5 and only $10 a ton. So I could take our enclosed trailer, unload a bunch of that stuff, and haul it there, the only thing I don't like is you back into this big bay where they got this loader pushing all this junk, and it's just a soupy, gross mess all over the floor, right? And so I'm usually wearing special shoes when I go there, you know, uh, wearing my mutters. But anyway, I get out there, and it's just almost hold your breath as I just toss things out, you know, toss it out. And then they, then one time they said, no, you got to put it over there. And then all the stuff's on it, and I'm like, oh, please, don't ask me to do that. Can you just scoop it? So, you know, it's it's a place, it's a least, like, a least place I'd ever want to go. I mean, as far as the senses and the smells and realizing all the garbage, it's just, that's one of the worst places. The other one is, is I used to ride my motorcycle through a place that always smelled a little funky and water was dripping from a pipe over the road and then realized that was one of the treatment plants, sewage treatment plants. Didn't ride through there anymore. But, uh... Those, those smells and everything can just turn your stomach. And so this is a place of trash and burning flesh and just this putridness. It's a physical suffering. These two word pictures. And from the Bible says, we can see several aspects of hell's like. It's, it's this passage that says hell that in hell the rich man was in agony because of the fire. And this word in the Greek is the word adonau, which is better translated sorrow or anguish. That he was sorrowful and in anguish. In the King James, it is the word torment. And, and the word torment scares me more than the word agony because it means more than just intense physical pain. That means it's being subjected on. Torment, there is a tormentor. Subjecting the torment on the tormentee. So this means that you are not in control of just being able to hold your breath for the smell or being able to just find a place that doesn't burn so bad. But this is a place of torment. I don't know if you've ever really been hurt so bad or, or hurt yourself so bad that you're in intense pain. I remember several times in my life I've endured the worst pain I could imagine. One was a motorcycle wreck that Jen and I had where um, it was so bad that when they finally got us out of the hospital, we had to go to my sister and brother-in-law's house, uh, Julian Lloyd's, to be cared for. We couldn't care for ourselves. The boys were in diapers or starting to potty train. So we couldn't take care of our own kids. We couldn't take care of ourselves. I was bruised so badly from the hip down that um, even without shorts, I looked like I had shorts on. I was just purple and black and blue. And so um, they think maybe it tried to separate my hips when I launched off the motorcycle tank. And so I was just walking like this, and every pain, step was painful. And I got to the front steps of their house, which they had six or seven, and literally broke down and about cried, thinking about trying to make up those steps. It's one of the most intense, painful moments I had. The other one was when my appendix was about to burst, and they got me in there, and I'm screaming at the doctor, I don't care what's inside me, cut this demon out of me, whatever it is, cut it out now. And I hate being cut on. I mean, so it was uh, intense, tense pain. But those pro were probably the most intense pains... I've ever had. 
and compare this with chronic injury. Like if you, you realize I'm never going to escape this pain. This is my life. The worst pain. Can't find a comfortable position standing or lying down. I had to literally, in embarrassment, had to have my parents or my brother-in-law help me to the bathroom and, and get me in there. And it was, it was one of the most embarrassing, most painful moments. But we need to also understand that hell is a place of re- relational suffering. You've got to understand that, that this man was understanding that I have family members still living, that this is where they're going, and I, didn't, I, I didn't, can't warn them. Please, somebody warn them. And Abraham literally tells us that it, it doesn't matter. They have the truth. They'll either decide to believe or not. It's just to me, I would think, what kind of torment would that be to know that I have loved ones, that I, I know someone could, if they could just come back from the dead and tell them what hell is like, they'd never go there. But Abraham says, no, people would still decide not to follow. You either read the truth and believe or you don't. Mark Twain said, I'll take heaven for the climate and hell for the society. And that's some of the attitude that people have. Is I'll, just, I'll just take a little both. But that's not possible. Listen to this. Ted Turner, in a speech to the National Press Club, said, Heaven is going to be a mighty slender place. And most of the people I know in life aren't going to be there. There are a few notable exceptions and I'll miss them. And people laughed. Remember, heaven's going to be perfect, and I don't really want to be there. Those of us that go to hell, which will be most of us in this room, most journalists are certainly going there, and they laughed again. But when we get to hell, we'll have a chance to make things better because hell is supposed to be a mess. And heaven is perfect. Who wants to go to a place that's perfect? Boring, boring. And they laughed again. Can you imagine those that laughed if they, any of them has gone on now and never choose to follow Christ? they'll have that echoing in their ears for all of eternity that they laughed at the opportunity to believe. Hell's not a party. They need to picture themselves in this unbearable physical pain and mental torment where the flame does not die and, and the worm does not die and think about what it'd be like for an hour, for a day, for a month, about forever. And these are the things I worry about that our churches are not taking time. It's not about trying to scare people into the kingdom. It's about letting them know that there's a real choice to be made here. C.S. Lewis said, hell is nothing but yourself for all of eternity. And some people would actually say, well, that sounds pretty good. But I think about the torment I've caused my own self in life and what I really want to be left to my own devices for all of eternity. Number four, place of emotional suffering. Matthew 13, 47 uh, through 51 says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace, where they will be weeping, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand all these things? Verse 51. Several times when Jesus talked about hell, he said it was a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This was repeated, and any time Jesus repeated anything, it was something to take note. And several times when Jesus talked about hell, it was uh, this, this you know, place where life is tough enough by itself, and sometimes people wish they could erase their memories, like they erase a videotape. But I can't imagine, there's no, there's no Alzheimer's in hell. 
There's no dementia in hell. There's no uh, mental uh, disabilities in hell. That the place of a torment will be that we all are very cognizant. Those that are there will be cognizant of what they did when they made the choice to separate themselves from God. I want to quickly just close with a couple of things. The fifth one is a place of spiritual suffering. Second Thessalonians 1.9 They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord from the majesty of His power. Number six, it's eternal. Uh, verse 26, it's a great chasm has been fixed and so this is a place that eternally is separated from God. Matthew 25.46 Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. So there's only two options. And the seventh thing is the truth about hell is it's avoidable. It's avoidable. Deuteronomy 30, 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing, curses. I've got several more uh, examples I could give, but the, the, the thing is that I know that everyone in here has made decisions to follow Christ. I look around at the faces, and, and, but I want to just ask you have, you, have you given it the, the, the care and concern of those around you, even those in the grocery store encounter? Sometimes I walk around and I think about that person, about what they might experience if they don't follow Christ, and it breaks my heart. You know, I think about relationships I built on this job site for our, our, our new construction. And there's some of those contractors where I've grown to really care about them. But yet, I know that they're still living in disobedience to the Lord. And I, I want so badly to just say, I don't want you to burn in hell. And we live in this culture where if you said that, you're just being, you're, 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 you're judging people. But the truth is, it's a heart of compassion that says, I don't want you to be in eternal suffering. I don't want you to be separated from God. I want to be able to celebrate with you in heaven for eternity and worship the Lord together. Are we giving that kind of intensity to our relationships that says we don't know the day or the hour when they will no longer have that opportunity to make that choice? Are we going after them as hard and fast as God went after us? That's a question. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now, God, that you will convict our hearts, God, that as we walk through uh, this journey of, uh, of this temporary life, God, that those you put in our, our sphere of influence, God, those in the community, in our workplaces, in our families, that, God, are we giving the kind of intensity to, to uh, pursuing them with the gospel, God, that you did to bring us where we are? God, are we taking what you've done for us and are we increasing in our lives? Are we taking those talents and abilities? Are we reaching out to the Lord in a lost and dying world and using the resources you've given us, using the abilities you've given us, Lord, using the breath of life you've given us to, to spread the gospel and give every person that opportunity to follow you and to avoid being eternally separated and torment from you. With every head bowed and eye closed, I... I would not preach this message without giving an opportunity for someone if I've missed it and there's someone here that maybe you have not made that decision or you've chosen to walk away from the Lord and you need to renew that relationship with Him. But I don't want to go any further until I give that opportunity. If you're here this morning, I want to pray with you and you say, I need to either recommit my life to the Lord or I need to make a commitment for the first time. I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you.
For all of us who are believers, praise God that we will spend eternity together, but we've got a task ahead of us. We've got a huge task. There are so many, and they're lost and dying. We've got great opportunities ahead of us in this new building. Let's pray right now and ask God's help for us to increase our borders, to expand our borders. Lord, we just pray right now before we even leave this building that, God, that this building will not be the marker of whether we expand our borders and reach more of souls. But, God, there are still empty chairs. There are still opportunities to bring more into the fold. And, Lord, even if we run out of chairs, God, eternity is not limited by the amount of chairs we have in a room. But, God, that the, the borders can expand, Lord, from Centerton to Benville to Rogers to Springdale. God, that together with the other churches, Lord, in this area, the other believers, we can reach every soul for Christ. God, pray that you would just, Lord, give us the power of the Holy Spirit to reach them. Lord, fill us and fill us and fill us that it overflows. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love y'all. I know uh, that's a heavy topic, no matter whether you believe or not. But just know, be encouraged that you get to rejoice today in the fact that you get to be an attorney with God the Father and with the other believers. But when you go out today, if you go out to eat, I want you to take a moment. There might be believers serving your table, may not. But I want you to just take a moment and look around at the sea of people that you'll be around. And say, God, how can I reach each one of these? Give me the opportunity. Lord, start the conversations. Help me to start the conversation and to win others for you. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. See you Wednesday night at 630.